All right. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Wake up. <laughs> so on vacation. Good evening, everyone. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. We are picking up our study in the book of Joshua. We're in chapter 2. I have uh, studied and prepared for Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 3, but uh, as I went back over my notes, I kept adding more to jo- chapter 2. So we may only get through chapter 2 tonight, but uh, it's some good stuff here, so we'll see. A couple things to be praying for. Just be praying for, uh, I don't know if you saw on the news, Maui is on fire. Uh, Lahaina, my wife and I have been there many times, and, and uh, uh, I mean, they say that the six people have died. People were jumping into the water. To to, um, to survive the, the flames that were coming down on it. There's 80 mile per hour winds, and it kind of started from a hurricane, I guess, that went through the area. So that kicked the winds up. Uh, 21 people are in shelters now, and the news reporter says it looks like an, uh, a pop, a really real horrible place, <laughs> apocalyptic uh, place. So we need to be praying for them and. Uh, and I did check the news. The other thing, I did check the news because we heard tornado watch tonight and everything is below us. So you can relax. We'll be fine. Um, if we hear the horns, then I just live around the corner. We'll run to the basement over there. But uh, uh, no, we'll be fine. It's, it's all below us. So with that, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. Lord, it's always uh, a blessing. Lord, knowing that every time we do spend time in your word, you have something to speak to our hearts, something that we need to hear, something we need to be encouraged by, applied into our lives. And so we thank you ahead of time that the work that you're going to do tonight. And we do pray uh, just your protection in our area upon uh, those that we may be hit with the storm tonight coming through. And we, Lord, especially want to lift up Maui and, and Lahaina, that town there that is just according to the news is gone so we pray for those people, the, the businesses that were there, the homes that have been lost. We pray for protection. We pray uh, uh, for the firefighters, Lord, that you'd help them to get this fire under control, that you'd stop those winds, Lord, would be, be uh, help a lot, we know. And so, Lord, just uh, protect the people there, we pray. And uh, bless our night, we pray. We give it to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when Joshua, or rather when Moses passed the baton of leadership, over to Joshua before he died. Uh, it was uh, really at the end of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that Moses had led. And, and Joshua at this time was almost 90 years old when he became Israel's leader. He later died at the age of 110. So these guys, these leaders, they, they lived pretty good long lives. We left off last week with Joshua and the children of Israel camped out on the east side of the Jordan. We read how God spoke to Joshua The instructions were clear. Joshua was to assume immediate command of all the people and lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. And I love the words of encouragement that God gave to Joshua back in chapter 1, verse 5, where the Lord said to him, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now Joshua at that point, had a a choice to make. Do I, by faith, believe God and move forward in faith, or do I back away and go, oh, Lord, use somebody else? Now, what is faith? Well, we all know Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And yet, for many new believers, they really don't understand faith. They think, well, how can I step out in something? How can I believe in something that I'm not sure of? We all know over in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1, there's a verse that, that most of us know, but because this is something that Joshua exercises quite a bit in our text this evening, I want to point this verse out. Hebrews 11:1. 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I believe that this is one of those verses that, that leave non-spiritual, the non-spiritual-minded person still guessing and wondering about faith. What does that mean? What is the substance not seen? What is it? Well, it's an action that takes place in our lives when we truly believe what God has said. See, Hebrews 11, verse 1 is misinterpreted. When it's misinterpreted, it happens in the heart of the person who looks on it and says, oh, come on. That's like having blind faith. How can I believe in something that I cannot see? That's not the case. There's not a single one of us in this room this evening who is being asked by God from Hebrews 11:1 to step out in blind faith. Why is that? Well, because we have the Word of God. That takes the blinders off of our faith. God has already said in His Word specific instructions that He has given to us and certain promises that are there for us to possess. So we just step forward in doing those things that God has called us to do. So there's really no such thing as blind faith when it comes to Christianity because God's Word speaks facts into our hearts. It's not blind faith. It's it's factual faith. It's it's faith that rests in the fact of God. It's historical. It's archaeological. It's scientific fact. It's all rooted in God's Word as we walk this daily life with Him. So when God says something to us, we need to take it at His Word and we need to move forward. And God gives us specific instructions from His Word, and all we have to do is put our faith in action and obediently step out in faith to what He has shown us to do. And that is what Joshua was about to do, really to take a, a, a leap of faith, but again, not a blind faith. Joshua is going to take God at His Word and lead the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now, last week we looked at the verses, all the verses of, of confirmation that the Lord gave to Joshua really prior to entering the promised land in order for him to have that complete assurance that what God was asking him to do wasn't some sort of blind faith, but that God has already given uh, them all that, that, that they need. Turn back to, to a page to chapter 1, and you'll see in verse 2 of chapter 1, God said to Joshua there, Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I have given to them, the children of Israel. Then you look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon I have given you. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all that the law with Mo- which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't think Joshua can go, well, I don't know, Lord, if you really want me to be strong and courageous. He, he just laid it out for him. And God tells us the very same things when it comes to our spiritual walk and the battles that we face on a daily basis. Be strong. Be courageous. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Romans 8, 31 is a perfect cross-reference to these verses. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, the New Testament makes it clear that, that Joshua is a type of Christ. In fact, the name Jesus in the Greek is equivalent to Joshua, and Joshua in Hebrew is equivalent to Jesus. Both means God's salvation or, or Jehovah is salvation. So just as Joshua conquered earthly foes, so too Christ has defeated every enemy through his death, through his resurrection. And just as Joshua will lead the children of Israel into rest and victory, so too Jesus Christ leads us into spiritual rest and into victory. One more thing before we get to verse 1 of chapter 2. There are those who like to come against the inspiration of scriptures and, and the Bible because they bring up passages in Joshua that tell of just brutal wars and, and, and slaughter. And they say things like, well, how could a God of love do this? Or how could a God of, uh, of love allow this bloodshed to happen? But what we need to keep in mind as we make our way through the, the book of Joshua is that God has given these heathen nations that will be conquered hundreds of years to repent, to stop, to turn from their evil ways, but they refer, refuse to turn from their filthy ways. If you want to know what they were doing, then go ahead and jot this down. Don't, we don't have time right now, but, but read Leviticus chapter 18. There in Leviticus chapter 18, it just lists a, a horrible, uh, the horrible abominations that these nations were practicing in. They actually were, were part of these, these heathen religious worship things going on. As well as any sinner in these heathen nations could have been saved by faith. Just as Rahab, as we'll see tonight, we'll read about it in a moment, uh, was saved. They had adequate warning. Turn from your sin. You can be saved. Stop. You know, but sometimes God allows and uses war to chasten and even destroy nations that forget him or turn against him. God had these nations destroyed to punish them for their sins in the same way a doctor disinfects his instruments in order to kill the germs and to, to protect his people and for, from their evil ways. God, as a moral judge, has the right to deal with all people anytime he deems appropriate for his purposes. The question then becomes really not why God chose to destroy these sinners, but why he let them live so long and why all the sinners are not destroyed sooner than they are. And it's only because God's amazing grace that allows any sinner to draw one more breath of life and have one more chance to repent. And we know why, because God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So this finally brings us to verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to see how one woman had one chance left in her life to receive the grace of God. Look at verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So Joshua sends out two unnamed spies to view the land, especially Jericho, we read here. And then remember, 40 years prior... Twelve spies had been sent in. Out of the twelve, only two, Caleb and Joshua, came back uh, and said, let's go for it. Let's claim that land that God has given to us. By faith, they were ready to go in. But the other ten, man, they were freaked out. They, they, they were in fear. 
fact, Numbers 13.31 says that they, they said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. They freaked out. And God judged them for it. And that's the reason they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, why in the world would then Joshua send more spies in? Well, two things I see that are different. First, the first spy mission was decided corporately by the people being led, whereas the second mission was decided privately by the leader, Joshua. Then secondly, the first spies were sent in public knowledge. The second spies we see here, they were sent in secretly. The way that I see it is that the first group was sent with the motivation of, should we enter the land or should we not enter the land? The second group was sent with the motivation of, how should we enter the land? How are we going to take this land? Or to put it even clearer, the first group moved out in unbelief and the second group moved forward in faith. Well, we read of these two spies who stayed in the house of, of, uh, owned by a woman named Rahab, or we'll read her a harlot named Rahab. Now, we know that she could not, not have just been running a bed and breakfast because <laughs> the New Testament does point out that, that Rahab is the harlot. Greek word for a harlot most definitely means prostitute. Now you may ask, well, why were the spies staying in the house of, a, of prostitution? Well, for one, it was probably the best place for them where, where no one would, would recognize them and they wouldn't be captured. A place of... Uh, 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 they wouldn't be recognized. <laughs> There's another word that I can't pronounce tonight. But, uh, but secondly, God had a bigger plan. See, this is where God had them for a reason because God was going to use them to reach this woman and this family with salvation. See, the two men that Joshua sent in uh, perhaps thought they were going to go in as spies, but in reality, they were going in as, as, as witnesses, as secret agents, if you will, of the power and the love of God. And the same thing is true for us and our walks with the Lord. We, we think, well, we're school teachers, or we're insurance salesmen, or we're hair salesmen, but we're not. We're actually undercover agents for the kingdom of God. And we come in contact with someone who doesn't know the Lord, and you start talking with them, and start sharing with them. So here we see these spies come to Rahab's house and lodge, and look at verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. I mean, one sneeze, and it would have been all over for them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse 5, And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in, in the order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the forge, to the Chevys, and as soon as those who oh, didn't say that, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So even though they tried to avoid being noticed, the king of Jericho found out that the spies had entered her house, and when he had demanded that they be turned over, she hid them and then claimed that they had come and gone. She says, if you can still catch them, they want that away. So Rahab lied. She lied. I found a list of fibs parents tell their children. One mom said, I tell my kids when the ice cream truck plays its song, it means they're out of ice cream. <laughs> That's sad, huh? 
One mom said, when my three-year-old betta fish died, I took her to the pet section at Walmart, pointed to a similar fish and said, what's Troy doing here? Come on, Troy, we're going to take you back home. That's a good one. Another mom said, I tell my kids who can't read yet that there's a sign in the store that says, no arguing or whining. Finally, one more. One mom said she told her five-year-old she couldn't eat cake 30 minutes before bed or she will have nightmares. Now, every time she eats cake, she asks what time it is. The reason I bring this up is because when we read that Rahab lied, people will say, well, it's okay to lie under certain circumstances. Rahab did it. Or the other way around, we read, well, people read this, well, I have a big problem with the fact that Rahab lied. Some people say that, that God is condoning her lie. But it's quite the opposite. The Bible never says what a, a, a righteous thing it was for her to lie like that. Still other people say, well, Rahab lied, so lying to further the kingdom of God must be okay. Yeah, that's it. I don't think you can prove that from Scripture. And if you think you can, then you're a bigger liar than you think. <laughs> See, Abraham... Yeah, we know Abraham, he, he lied to stay alive when he said yeah, his wife was his sister. Jacob lied to his father saying he was Esau in order to receive the blessing. And yes, God was faithful to these men even though they lied. But he never condones lying. In fact, Scripture says clearly, Proverbs twelve twenty two, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. Proverbs 19.22, it's better to be a poor man than a liar. Lying is always sin, not the unforgivable sin. And, and I might add here, before we condemn Rahab, we have to remember she was really not a, a believer at this point. I mean, how do you expect non-believers to act? They're going to lie. She was saving her own skin. But more than that, she has a bigger reason for lying that we're going to read about in a moment. But I think about a very similar situation I read about when another person chose to handle uh, very differently from Rahab, yet God still honored her for it and came to her aid. It involves a sister of Corrie ten, ten Boom, one of the, the famous uh, daughters of the Dutch family who risked their lives to, to save the Jewish refugees in her home and, and escape, you know, saving them from the Nazis. God's people, the Jews, were in danger and needed to be hidden and protected. Corey's sister, Betsy, was this extremely sincere and honest uh, person and had decided years, be years before they should never tell a lie. It became an, an unbreakable principle for her. And one day, some German soldiers came to the door unexpectedly looking for Jews. They burst into their house to, to search it. And at that time, there was a family of Jews hiding in a chamber under the floor. They had gone down through a trapdoor hidden under the table. So this German shoulder, soldier comes in and says, are there any Jews hidden in this house? Betsy, I mean, had no time to think or even to pray about what to do. She just acted on instinct with, with a habit she had built up over many years, and she blurts out, yes, they're hiding underneath the table. Now, I, I don't think God wanted Betsy to say that. She didn't need to say it. She had no duty to say it. The Germans had no right to, to even be there, let alone to ask a question. On top of that, the purpose they were asking her was, was horrific. They were seeking to kill God's people, the Jews, which is the very reason why the Ten Boom family were hiding them in the first place. So Betsy's family were horrified at what she just said. However, God's heart was evidently touched by Betsy's sincerity, so he honored it. And, and he honored her, and he intervened. 
God must have planted a thought into a German soldier's mind because he immediately got the wrong end of the stick. He assumed that Betsy was making fun of him and that she couldn't possibly have meant what she had just said. And he mistakenly took it as sarcasm, which is the exact opposite of what it actually was. So then he becomes red-faced and felt that if he looked under the table, everyone would laugh at him. So he turned and left the room. The Germans then searched the whole of the rest of the house everywhere except under the table, and they found nothing. (laughs) And it all ended happily. That group of Jews who had been under the table all survived the war. God uh, preserved all their lives. Now, in part, I expect he did so in honor of what Betsy had just done due to the strength and the sincerity of her conviction. God covered up for Betsy and saved her and the Jews from the consequences of her own honesty. However, we we must face the fact that God doesn't always do so. There is a heavy price to pay for being truthful. But God still calls us to be truthful. And God did intervene on that occasion with, with Betsy and her family. And so uh, the point is we have two very similar situations handled in totally opposite ways by two women, Rahab and Betsy Ten Boom, yet God honored both of them. Now look at verses 8 through 13. We're going to see Rahab's true reason for lying. Look at verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above, all, above and, on our, and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So there's Rahab's reason for lying. Spare my, spare my family. Deliver us from death. Because what we read here is the Israelites, they had a reputation. It preceded them. Word had come into the land of Canaan about the parting of the Red Sea, the defeat of of the Sion and Og and the king of the Amorites. Fear had struck the Canaanites, just as God promised that it would. Back in our studies in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25, we read there that this day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the people's everywhere under the heavens, who, when they hear the report of you, shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. God had given Israel's enemies this spirit of fear. Now, it's quite the opposite what God does for us. He doesn't give us the spirit of fear. In fact, Second Timothy 1.7 says, uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So that wherever God leads us, we can step out in faith We can go in and accomplish what he's called us to do, not in fear, but in confidence. Not in ourselves, but in our God who's called us to do that, which he's called us to do with with power and love and of a sound mind. So we see here the people of of Canaan, they were in fear. They were dreading the Israelites. And Rahab understood that it was the Lord who had done these things. In fact, this is really where Rahab makes her profession of faith. 
She had faith in God as evidenced by her belief that God had given the land to the Israelites. In verse 9, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She knew the facts about God as evidenced by her knowledge of what he had done for his people. Verse 10, she said, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters and so forth. And then in verse 11, she feared God as evidenced by the condition of her heart. She said, as soon as we hear these things, our hearts melted because of the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So she had faith in God. She's making a profession of faith in God, what God has done for his people. And she had the fear of the Lord. And she also knew that the God of Israel was the one true God of heaven and earth and that God was about to bring judgment upon them. So she's asking for salvation. She's asking to be saved from the coming judgment. Or to put it simply, she's saying, Lord, I believe. Save me. It's right here that Rahab becomes an example of a woman of faith. Now, the New Testament speaks of her in this way. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.31, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. James also uses her as an illustration of, of works demonstrating faith. He, he says in James 2.25, And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So a Canaanite prostitute becomes a woman of faith, praised in the New Testament. But that's not all, as the late night commercials would say. <laughs> Rahab later married one of the princes of Judah and gave birth to a man named Boaz, major player in the book of Ruth. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse dun, 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 had a son named David. Rahab was a great-great-grandmother of King David. This makes her an ancestor of Jesus Christ, which Matthew shows us in the first chapter of his gospel. You know what that tells me? Whether you've been a prostitute, a drug addict, a pornographer, a drug dealer, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ... He will welcome you into his family. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. As Hebrews 2.11 says, and how Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. What a gracious God we serve. Well, now we come to a section in this chapter famously known as the Scarlet Cord. Look now, verse 14 through 21. So the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord 
in the window. What a strange symbol, this scarlet cord. It's actually a huge symbol. The meaning of this scarlet cord is threaded throughout scriptures. Get it? Threaded throughout them. Goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. When Tamar was giving birth to twins back in Genesis 38, we read in verse 20 and 29, Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth. One put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. So the, the scarlet thread marked the firstborn. So the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is Mary's firstborn son, Luke 2, verse 7, that he was the firstborn born among many brethren, Romans 8, 29, firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1, 15, the firstborn among the dead, Colossians 1, 18, Revelation 1, 5. Then we move on, Leviticus chapter 14, the scarlet string shows up again uh, with, the, with the cleansing of a, a, a leper is dis- described. Let me read to Leviticus 14, verses 2 through 7. It says there, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and a hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string, and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ. Two birds involved. In Scripture, these birds are often referred to as birds of the heavens. They both represent Jesus Christ who came from heaven. One bird was placed in the earthen vessel. Jesus, too, when he came to this earth, placed himself in an earthen vessel, the body of a man. The bird was slain at the hands of the priest, just as Jesus was. Then the the blood of the bird was mixed with water inside the vessel, just like what happened to Jesus' earthen vessel. Live bird was fastened to the wood with a scarlet string, just as Jesus was fastened to the wood of the cross, covered in blood. Hyssop was also present, as we read, just as it was at the cross. The leper then sprinkled seven times, representing his complete cleansing by the blood. And then the live bird was released again to the heavens, just as Jesus rose from the dead and returned to heaven. See, Leviticus 14 and the scarlet thread, the scarlet string, represents the the blood of Christ, which cleanses all sinners, all of us lepers, completely. And these two spies here in Joshua 2 tell Rahab that she will be saved from the coming judgment of God upon sinful people by this scarlet cord. They tell her anyone who ventured outside the covering of the scarlet cord would die in the judgment. Same is true for the blood of Jesus Christ. It saves us from the judgment that is to come. And anyone who refuses to be protected by it will perish. See, it's not too much for us to imagine how quickly Rahab put that scarlet cord in that window and probably ran out the door to gather up her family. She wanted them to know what was happening and that they could be saved. Same way, when we come to faith in Christ, the first people we want to know about our salvation is our family. We know the way to be saved. Those that we love, we're excited about what God has done. And I like here that the door of our house would become the door to safety for all those who entered into it. 
In the days of Noah, it was the same thing. It was The door was safety for those who entered into the door of the ark. In Egypt, there was freedom from judgment for those gathered inside the door sprinkled with the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Safety from, uh, safety from eternal judgment depends on us entering that, that right door. I read a story from way back about George Whitfield's time, from George Whitfield, who was one of those great preachers during the Great Awakening. One time he overheard a couple of young guys talking sarcastically before he was about to speak, saying, so what if the door shut? Another will be opened. Well, during the, the service later on, Whitfield began to preach, and he said, it is possible that there may be someone here who's careless and trifling and says, so what if a door shut? Another will be opened. <laughs> Two guys looked at each other in alarm, but then Woodford went on. Yes, another door will open. It'll be the door to the bottomless pit, the door of hell. I mean, could you imagine the look on their face? I mean, here's the deal. Rahab had the opportunity to do the right thing, to open the right door, to make the right decision, and she did it. And for that reason, she is remembered as a woman of faith. Well, then the spies leave. And in verse 22 we read, Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until uh, the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all that had happened to the country are faint-hearted because of us. So from that day that the scarlet hung was, cord was hung, which represents the blood of Christ, it was three days before the spies came back from hiding and told everyone that the Lord would give them victory. Again, sounds an awful lot like the gospel account. You know, three days later, Jesus hung on the cross, died for our sins, shed his blood, rose from the dead, proving that he was victorious over death and sin. And by believing in faith in him, we have victory over death and sin. All of our sins washed away. I think we have time to move on. So let's, let's go into chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the, officers went through the camp. Remember back in Joshua 1.11, God told the people of Israel to wait three days at the shores of the Jordan River. At that time, as they're waiting there, they're seeing the rushing river. They're seeing it swollen with the spring rains, lying, lying it's right in front of them. And they must have thought to themselves, how are we going to cross this river? I mean, it's one thing for a couple of spies to make their way across it, but here in chapter 3, we're talking about a nation of millions with all their possessions. How are they going to make it over? At that moment like that, all the wonderful talk about living in the promised land, I mean, that can sound pretty shallow. I mean, what's the point? We're not going to make it. This is impossible. Look at this obstacle blocking our way. How, is, uh, how will God do this one? Well, God answers that for them. Takes away their fear. Takes away, they, they say basically the ark of God will lead the way. Look at verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So here we got the children of Israel. They're no longer being led by uh, the pillar of fire by night or the cloud by day. Now they have a new direction. Follow the Ark of the Covenant, verses 4 through 8. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it. 
that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, tomorrow, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. See, God was about to do something entirely new, so new commands were needed. New directions needed to be received. Yeah, they would cross into the Jordan, into the Promised Land, but they had to receive God's directive word to do so. So in verse 3 we read, When you see, then you shall. Then in verse 5 he says, Sanctify yourself. Verse 6, Take up the Lord, it says. And then verse 8 we read, When you have come. See, they couldn't rely on the commands of yesterday. This was a new chapter in their life. A new word was needed. They were strangers in an unfamiliar territory. They've never been there this way before. So they're, they're told to leave a distance between them and the ark, some 1,000 yards behind the ark. And I believe that was for two reasons. Number one, to respect the holy nature of the ark of the covenant, but also is to make sure that everyone had a clear view of the ark. Now, we know that the ark was where God would manifest himself on earth. Inside was the, the bread of life, that jar of manna, and the word of God, the Ten Commandments. Picture of Jesus Christ and how we're to follow the Lord every step of the way that he leads us. First Peter 2.21 tells us, Christ also, also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Yeah, there's a gap between us and the time Jesus walked this earth, but, but, but we still Follow him. We still see him clearly invisible. His path is well marked. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The way we should walk, the way we should follow Jesus is very clear. I love verse 5. Joshua says to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love that. So what was Joshua asking for? He was asking for a rededication to holy living. Sanctify. Set yourself apart. See, God promised the children of Israel that he was about to do some great wonders among them, but it's a conditional promise. Yeah, God promises, I'm going to do this miraculous thing for you and demonstrate miraculous power, but you need to be willing to sanctify yourself, to set yourself apart. Usually, sanctification in the Old Testament referred to a ritual cleansing when God would give specific instructions for ceremonial cleanliness. If the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai was the pattern, then sanctify yourself meant that they needed to, to bathe, they needed to, to, to change their clothes, you know. You know, when you have a, a special event coming up, you, you want to make sure that everything is right, you know, everything is good. I remember years ago, back in high school, go to a high school dance, I don't know if they do it now, but I would, I would wash and wax my car, get it all clean, I would vacuum it at least twice, sprinkle a little brute cologne inside of it, you know, and and then, you know, for the next hour, I'd spend in the shower getting ready to go. Everything <laughs> had to be just right. Well, here, the Bible, the image of washing one's body and putting on first clothes symbolized really a new beginning with the Lord. Because sin really is a picture of defilement. God has to cleanse us before we can truly follow him. I think when Jacob made a new beginning with the Lord and returned to Bethel, he and his, his entire family washed themselves. They changed their garments. 
King David, after he confessed his sin with Bathsheba, he bathed, he changed his clothes, and then he worshiped God. This picture is carried over into the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Paul writes, you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. See, whenever we, we face new opportunities, God calls us to, to sanctify ourselves. God calls us to, to live pure and holy lives, to be separated from sin. It means opening ourselves to the, up to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Because after our confession of sin, repentance, and experiencing forgiveness, it's at that point that God's Holy Spirit enables us to be used by God. But sadly, many Christians today, they lack power, they lack joy, they lack the fullness of their lives because they're not willing to give up that sin. They're living lives of, of compromise and, and a life of sin where they need to be emptied of that sin, emptied of that compromise. Empty of the, uh, of the flesh and the, that of living for self. Again, I, I, I'm convinced that the problem with many people today is they're seeking to be filled before they are emptied. They want to move out into ministry and have opportunities to be used by the Lord. They want more power and fullness and they want to be blessed, but they refuse to be empty. They refuse to give up that stronghold of the flesh in their lives. Listen, the need isn't to get pumped up or psyched up or hyped up. It's not trying to get yourself together. The need is to empty ourselves of all of our crud so we can be filled with the life of God. To humble ourselves and confess our sin and allow God to do the work of filling us again and using us. Finally, verse 9 through 17, let's finish up the chapter. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail Drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of their feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. And rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Daratan. So the waters that went down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So we see here the priests were commanded to walk towards the river carrying the ark. They began the procession, the procession rather, the ark of the covenant some a thousand yards in front of the people. The priests came and walked right into the river that I'm sure did not look like it was going anywhere. Who knows how long they, they stood there with their feet in the river. Might have been a moment. 
might have been a, a long moment, a long time, uh, uh, even a short moment. I'm sure it would seem like a really long time to them. Is something going to happen here? We're in the water here. See, we usually want that river to be dry before we even make a step. But God was truly calling Israel to step out in faith. And, and, and Joshua reminded us in verse 15, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest. In other words, this wasn't the time where the Jordan would be the, at the lowest point. Because of the spring rains at the time of early harvest, the, the river was swollen, it's overflowing at the banks. And yet as soon as their feet touched the water, the Jordan stopped flowing. I love that, that 40 years earlier, the Red Sea just parted before they got into it. They didn't even have to get their feet wet. And sometimes God does that in our lives. Sometimes He opens up a door so clearly we can walk right through. And other times He wants us to get our feet wet before He opens that door wider. I mean, isn't that just like our God? He wants to do something amazing, some amazing things tomorrow. But before He does, we have to learn to trust and obey. We are required to demonstrate our faith. Listen, without risk, there is no faith. For faith to be faith, we have to venture out beyond our own abilities and resources. We have to take the step before God acts. Often God provides no solution to our problems until we trust Him and start moving ahead. Now, while He wants to supernaturally intervene in the difficulties and challenges of our everyday lives, He can't until we first demonstrate faith by walking forward on the path of obedience. Here's what's amazing, is that what we see here is that way upstream, at the city of Adam, beside Zeraton, God had already acted. He had already prepared for what was about to happen. The waters which came from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton. God did, did his part. Listen, Deuteronomy 31.8 tells us, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. The water mysteriously gathered up and would not flow. The priest stood in the middle of the dry Jordan with the ark until everyone had crossed over. Some two million plus strong. It was awesome. Which now meant for them, <laughs> they were going for it. There's no turning back. See, crossing over the Jordan with some two million strong, God was glorified. Joshua was exalted, Israel was encouraged, and the Canaanites, they were terrorized. But Israel was now 100% committed to the struggle against the armies, the chariots, and the fortified cities. They were also committed to continue to, to walk by faith in the living God and, and turning away from walking according to the flesh uh, as they often experienced in the wilderness. So what does that mean for us? Well, a symbolic crossing over into the Jordan really means passing from one level of our Christian life to another. It, it, it's, pictured, it's pictures of entering into spiritual warfare to claim what God has promised us. It should mean an end to living a life of the flesh and the beginning of living a life of the Holy Spirit, walking in obedience to the Word of God. See, the Jordan was the obstacle that kept Israel from the promised land. It was the river of impossibility. And we also face obstacles that keep us really from enjoying a life of faith and obedience and victory. But you see, even if the obstacles appear as intimidating as a rushing Jordan River, we must never lose fact of the sight that God is the one who will take us through. As I read, and he, the Lord, is the one who goes before you, he will be with you, he will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 
funny promises, and we'll close with this. Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So if you have any rivers that look like they might be uncrossable, or any mountains that look they might be standing in your way, remember that God specializes in doing the impossible and doing what no one else can do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we can receive as we look at Rahab and we look at, at uh, the, the, the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan there and how you protected them, and how, Lord, they, they put their feet in the water first before you moved, before the work was done. But, Lord, you already had it planned out for them. You had the work for them to do. Lord, you promised them you'd be with them over and over again. So all they had to do was take that step of faith and go. Lord, help us in our walks with you to continue to walk by faith, Lord, but not blind faith. Faith in your word and what your word tells us to do, Lord. Lord, help us to turn away from the, the, the things of the flesh. Lord, all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those are the things that, that hinder us from being used by you in a mighty way. Lord, help us to turn away from those things and to walk in your spirit. Thank you for tonight, for the joy of gathering together in your word. Bless our, our traveling mercy on our way home, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand we'll do one last song together.
is a shelter like no other in your name. Let the nations sing louder, cause nothing has the power to say but your name. Man, praise the Lord. God bless you guys. Drive safe going home. And we'll see you back again on Sunday. God bless.